0: Hey yo, this is Clipping, you're listening to KBOO. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad, don't you know no one alive can always be an angel? When everything goes wrong, you see some bad. Just whose intentions are good. Oh Lord, please don't let me be
1: Good evening, you're listening to Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Avon Hart Johnson, the president and co-founder of DC Project Connect. And uh, we're also going to be talking about the upcoming International Prisoners Family Conference where Dr. Hart Johnson is going to be speaking. Dr. Johnson, Dr. Hart Johnson, welcome to Prison Pipeline. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Um, let's start, first of all, just with an introduction dr hart johnson can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work around the field of incarceration absolutely Um, my
2: work started probably about uh, 20 years ago Um, i have done a lot of volunteer work and i've always had a sense of compassion working with families in crisis and working with young children in particular and You know, one of the things that you'll probably find as a radio host is that people always come with a story. And I, too, uh, come with many stories that have impacted and shaped my life and kind of taken it on the pathway of who I've become as a professional, as a researcher, as an author and an advocate. Um, The very first impressions uh, that were made on my life um, really came about in my own family system. I'm I'm from a very large family with many siblings, and my family was absolutely fractured and torn apart when I was about 15 years old. Uh, I was on my own, nowhere to go, um, basically homeless. So you're looking at a trajectory of someone who was 15 with with nowhere to go to a person who has, you know, become a PhD. And that's a heck of a journey. And what that journey entailed and uh, gave me focus is that um, my brothers and sisters were all placed in foster care. And so we as a family were broken apart. And that was a major crisis in my life. And what it did is it helped me to understand. Um, the uh, importance of family connections. And so even though my foster, uh, my my brothers and sisters were in foster care, there were 10 of us and they were all placed, you know, maybe coupled and placed in foster care. One of the things that I did not know and did not find out is that the reason that we were placed in foster care, my father had somehow uh you know ended up missing who knew that my father was in attica state prison oh my god who knew you know so we were dealing with this aftermath of scattered children all over upstate new york and we finally came back i i you know i guess i was around 20 years old and i started taking in my siblings the best way that i could having a job You know making my education a priority and that's how i ended up you know being able to become a guardian of my brothers and sisters fast forward just that thread of knowing the importance of family systems led me to volunteer with uh you know various crisis organizations center for family and children And then I somehow, and all of this, by the way, was going on without me knowing that my dad was incarcerated. I just thought that he disappeared, that he had another family in California, that he was gone. And so something in me, you know, just kept, you know, gravitating towards volunteerism. Now on a professional track, I became an IT professional. That was my passion, I loved IT. And so for the greater part of my adult life, I became an IT professional. But later on, I started volunteering at a Halfway House. I got close to the the women that were there or the individuals that were at the Halfway House. And I said, you know what, I need to do more. I'm not going down in this lifetime as leaving a legacy of writing source code and developing apps you know, and managing organizations, I need to do something um, that I feel is going to satisfy my soul. And so having said that, I decided to um, pursue a second master's degree. My first master's was in IT. My second master's degree uh, was in forensic psychology. And it really brought together two intriguing things that really move me, and that is the psychology of human behavior and the law. I was really, really interested in both. And so what forensic psychology does is it brings together those two uh, essence of understanding the human brain and what drives behavior from you know the underlying perspective of what gets people incarcerated basically and through that i learned about family systems and you know which was something that was a draw on my heart about in 2014 i decided with all the insights and everything that i understood about forensic psychology i decided that i was going to work on my phd And my dissertation was on the impacts of incarceration on family systems, uh, in particular Black women, because I knew that Black women, somehow, when you look at statistics, you realize that Black women are the ones who are incarcerated at a higher rate. If they've got family members who are incarcerated, it is likely that they're going to receive a harsher sentence. It is very likely that they are going to struggle because we know that Uh, Black women in terms of the living wage, you know, they're gonna earn less than their counterparts. So all of that kind of came together and I said, you know what, I'm gonna start DC Project Connect. What does DC Project Connect do? And what was it designed to accomplish? Basically to provide families with the information, resources, deliver services um, at a halfway house, that helps women who are coming home from prison to reintegrate into their family system and to basically understand the tools that might not necessarily be at their fingertips, but something to help them to stabilize the family and to reintegrate into the family system. So standing back and saying, what does that look like as a nonprofit organization? Well, even though you have a center a centered approach to a set of goals and mission, which was to provide information resources for families affected by incarceration. The other component of that was building strong networks within the community and not just stopping at the community level. What does that look like? Well, it's collaboration, getting to know all the players in the space. I'm outside of Washington, DC. So understanding that we are in Washington, DC, the epicenter of nonprofit organizations and government, right? And so that gives us a powerful platform to come together, collaborate with other like-minded organizations, because you can't do this work alone. Mass incarceration is so big that if you threw everything at it, using all the resources in local organizations, you still have big problems that need to be solved and so with that in mind the idea was to build uh, networks of individuals as a hub and to to, uh, connect with light-minded individuals and those basically who have other ideas innovative approaches such as international uh, networks so our research and our advocacy took us into the space of local national level which is the International Prisoner Family Conference. I w- that's how I uh you know made a connection uh with Kayla uh, Victor and the uh her mom at the International Prisoner Family Conference. From that, there were various uh spin-offs, such as the International Coalition for Children with Incarcerated Parents, of which I serve as the vice president. So I guess when you look at the work that we do, the primary products are. Uh, Children's books to explain incarceration, children are often lied to about where their parents are, as I was, you know, where was my dad all these years and why did he just disappear? Well, there you go. You know, so we created a series of children's books that were based on research done with caregivers to understand what are the challenges, what do children face, what do you see your kids going through. We extrapolated from that using methods of what we call bibliotherapy, using books for healing and we were able to take that and to put it into books that were uh, graphic graphically displayed, user-friendly, using uh, therapeutic approach of bibliotherapy, which means that you're using sight, sound, you know, senses or whatever, and you're bringing the characters to life where a child and their mother at a distance or the reader at a distance can look at a situation that's similar to what they have gone through and basically walk away with the idea that I see myself in the story. I believe that I can overcome these odds by taking uh, steps towards self-determination. I can take actionable steps and I too can find hope and I too can make my life better. So our work is kind of broad, but yet it narrows on that very specific uh, focus on how do you Take the most basic element of society, the basic unit, which is the family system, and to bring that together and stabilize that family system. What are the resources that are necessary in order to accomplish that? And the answer to that question is what we provide as a nonprofit organization.
1: Thank you. The International Prisoners Family Conference is happening. October eighteenth to the twentieth, and um, it's going to be a virtual conference this year. Um, can you talk about your role in the conference, uh, Dr. Hart Johnson, and what are you going to be speaking about? Sure, sure. So I am the chair of the Advocacy and
2: Action Coalition. The Advocacy and Action Coalition is a organization. It's basically national and we are about 150 strong. With any given year, we have working groups, a cohort of uh, comprised of a working group that t- pulls together resources. Um, we decide as a collective what the resources are gonna be for that year that we're gonna provide families and we're gonna present it or unveil it at a conference. Uh, this year, Uh, we are unveiling a simulation. It is a virtual simulation with a workbook that describes the prison visiting experience from multiple perspectives, a six-year-old boy, a grandmother who is a caregiver of the six-year-old boy, a prison receptionist, a prison visiting uh, guard or corrections officer, and the incarcerated individual who is the dad of the six year old boy. And we bring together virtually a role play uh, that will be played by the various actors and we focus on the brain, the body and the emotions with an underpinning of understanding and recognizing how stress can impact all of your biological systems as well as your emotional functioning. And so what we do using a very elementary approach is help people to understand how stress shows up in their everyday lives to give them that boilerplate or that basic baseline understanding. And then we build from that and we say, okay, now add stress, now add crisis where the body's systems are at capacity And, you know, and we help them to understand how different people, no matter what faction of life, whether you're a corrections officer, whether you're working in the reception area, or whether you're the grandmother planning for this five and a half hour drive to the prison, everybody's bringing a backstory um, to this prison visit. And so this year, we're going to unveil that. Now, the International Prisoner Family Conference is a unique space to be in. And the reason that it's unique is because it brings together families in a non-threatening, and a safe space where they can hear about resources and they can hear about what other organizations are doing. They can kind of step outside of their bubble um, in terms of feeling like they're isolated and alone. Now, there is an advantage to having a virtual conference Because number one, it's not costing as much for you to leave your home and travel. And number two, you are actually, you you have the option of leaving on your camera or turning it off. You can listen and take this information in. It also brings together practitioners where they're sharing knowledge in terms of what are the programming that's going on in this state versus the other state. What are some of the ideas that people are bringing to the table? What about you know uh public testimony you know before your local council per- person how does that happen how do you do that or the question about how do i move from being a person who feels victimized by
1: incarceration to a person who is empowered to use my voice you're listening to KBOO Community Radio, and we're in our annual fall membership drive. You can help us meet our $55,000 goal by going to kboo.fm give to make a contribution today. All donations will be matched up to $14,000 thanks to a generous group of anonymous donors. KBOO's independent programming is only possible with your support. Give now at kboo.fm give.
2: The conference is a powerful platform and it gives us a voice. And, and, you know, there's something very um, interesting about when you use your voice, I think there's a steadiness that you have to get to a place of resolve and a place of reconciling what has happened into your life that you can now find that silver lining to make you feel like, okay, this is, this is why this event has happened in my life. Um, one of the things that you'll probably know and you probably have realized that as you listen to the stories about incarceration, people will tell you that incarceration was a major event. It was a big event, but there were other events going on in life and that's the nature of life. You know we don't get a clean slate and just kind of a linear path towards life and then we you know go ahead and leave our legacy behind there's all sorts of stuff that goes on when you're lifing right and so the thing about incarceration that makes it so significant and defining is that it changes what we consider the assumptive world And the assumptive world, as you probably know, is this idea that if I do this in my life and I raise my kids and I get a house and I get a job and I do these kinds of things, that my life is supposed to pan out in a particular manner. There's going to be some hiccups and bumps and bruises along the way, but you expect that your life is going to be in a a specific way. What happens when your assumptive world has been challenged it flips the script and all in a sudden everything that you knew or thought you knew that is supposed to occur in your life now seems like a big blur and it's confusing and you don't know what to do in my research i call this 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 point of crisis uh vicarious imprisonment because what it tends to do is make you withdraw from life want to hide want to nurture yourself and try to figure out how to get your regain your footing, but it also acknowledges the fact that you're grieving and that you need to find a way to cope. And so there's some deep pain, and I was talking to a bunch of students last night, and Barbara Allen, one of our uh, advocates, um, she mentioned that when she went through um, an incident in her life, she felt as though she needed to withdraw and just hide, not just from the stigma, but because her life was turned upside down. And she felt like she was going through this rabbit hole and it's just tunnel vision. And I would acknowledge that that is part of what happens when your assumptive world has been challenged. You have a tendency to feel that uh, that everything was, there was a before and now there's an after. And you're dealing with these unknowns Uh, dealing with the prison system, dealing with attorneys, dealing with uh, the uh, going to prison visits. And here's the thing that shows up. I call this thing the wait phenomena that has a tendency to make people feel powerless and even more stigmatized. What do I mean by the wait phenomena? When you have a loved one incarcerated, you're always waiting. You're waiting to find out where they're gonna be placed. You're waiting to find out what, what, what uh, you know, when they're gonna get their phone privileges, when they're gonna get their visiting list, if they're allowed visits, when they're going to come out of solitary confinement, when you're gonna get that collect phone call. The mere essence of having to wait on other people suggests that they have power over you. Waiting in a line. You know, hoping that you're gonna make it in for a prison visit. It's all about waiting. And here's what I would say, if you are developing a sense of self-advocacy, then you find that antidote to waiting. And that's the beginning stages of becoming an advocate, being able to figure out what am I gonna do rather than to just wait. How am I gonna number one, stabilize my family system? And establish a sense of normalcy and routine. Normalcy and routine and uh, uh, adds predictability, which reduces stress, especially for children. Children need to have. Predictability, and they need to have routine. Otherwise, they get this added stress. I don't know what's going on in my life. There's confusion. There's you know something happening one day, something happening next. My mom is changing. She's not paying attention to me. I don't get read to. You know, I'm getting you know uh, meals some days. Uh, uh, you know, cold food the next day. You need to have that structure and stability for yourself and for your family why because it helps you to remain regulated step one regulate the family system step two what can you do to become your own personal advocate to be become strong being, being strong means shaping your mind and reframing your thoughts. We can't control what's going on in the prison systems without us being strong ourselves. If we're gonna come up with a plan and we're gonna be convincing and confident and go before uh, the warden or go before council people to make public testimony or even write a book, we gotta be confident in our stance and our belief system. So stabilizing self first, and then being able to articulate that message to people where they get it and can apply it to their lives that's what the advocacy and action coalition does it takes in consideration all of that that's going on and try to articulate in bite-sized chunks how people can apply some basic methods
1: to improve the quality of life and well-being Thank you, Dr. Hart-Johnson. We have just a few minutes left um, in the show today. Uh, With a couple of minutes that are left, can you tell people if they're interested in the International Prisoners Family Conference, what type of event it is and how they could connect with it, that sort of thing? Sure. So if they were to uh, Google online, International
2: Prisoner Family Conference, uh, it will bring up a website. And on that website, it will show past conferences, and uh, especially those that were attended in person, it's usually a three-day event, and it's hosted, as I indicated earlier, there will be advocates there, there'll be family members, there will be people from uh, the corrections community or law enforcement or criminal legal system community, um, family members, there'll be people who have overcome their own personal trauma and became advocates so you'll hear that kind of testimony if you want to become involved as an advocate with the advocacy and action coalition which is a subset under the international prisoner family conference you can contact me directly avon hart johnson that's a-v-o-n-h-a-r-t-j-o-h-n-s-o-n at gmail.com, or go to the International Prisoner Family Conference, kind of look around and uh, uh, gaze about the uh, website, but also click on the advocacy link and you'll see that there is a list of advocates. And also um, there's some work products that we have created, some white papers and presentations. We're gonna be launching a, a workbook and a virtual flipbook that people can use as a at-home self-help resource on how to manage your stress and get through the prison visiting experience. So those are all the kinds of things that you will uh, hear about uh, during the conference. You'll hear about the resources that people provide. It's international. So you're going to hear some perspectives of what people do in the United Kingdom. You know, when it comes to prison visits for children, creating play spaces for children. You'll hear from attorneys, uh, civil rights attorneys, or I mean, and then some things get a little bit uh, serious. You may hear from uh, those who are talking about death and custody and how they're fighting battles you know um from a legislative perspective what they're doing to advocate for change across the states you'll hear about how mail policies have changed where it used to be that you could just write a letter send the letter in or your kid could you know create a crown drawing and send it to mom or send it to dad well some of those things have changed you'll you'll hear about uh, you know, the 50 state analysis in terms of what's changing with communication. (laughs) So there's a lot of, a lot of information that will be disseminated and it'll run October 18th through the 22nd. Our, uh, Working Group Advocacy and Action Coalition is going to present on Wednesday. We're going to open the conference, so we're really excited about that. We've got Part Two, one and Part Two, where we're going to share resources. And
1: well, Dr. Hart Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today on Prison Pipeline.
2: Thank you for having me. It has been a joy, and uh, if you ever want to have a conversation in the future. I'm willing to come back and chat a little bit.
1: Great, thank you so much. You're listening to KBOO Community Radio and we're in our annual fall membership drive. You can help us meet our $55,000 goal by going to kboo.fm slash give to make a contribution today. All donations will be matched up to $14,000 thanks to a generous group of anonymous donors. KBOO's independent programming is only possible with your support. Give now at kboo.fm slash give.
0: Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be? When everything goes wrong, you see some bad, but I'm just a soul whose intentions are
1: listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM.
0: You're listening to KBOO Community Radio, and we're in our annual fall membership drive. You can help us meet our $55,000 goal by going to kboo.fm give to make a contribution today. All donations will be matched up to $14,000 thanks to a generous group of anonymous donors. KBOO's independent programming is only possible with your support. Give now at kboo.fm give. KBOO Community Radio is a proud media sponsor of the Dia de los Muertos Celebration. On Wednesday, November 1st, from 12 to 10 p.m.,